Well, good morning. How's everybody? We, uh, yeah, well, half of you are excited to be here. The other half didn't know if you could clap or not. So, uh, listen, listen, it's all good. I'm excited that you're here. For those of you that uh, haven't been out of your house in a while, thank you for showing up. I've seen a few of you that are like, there's other people, <laughs> other people sitting together and, uh, and doing some life. So thank you so much for being here. My name's Danny, if you're brand new. I am one of the pastors here at Kesed Church, and uh, thank you so much for uh, deciding to come and join us in room. For those of you uh, who are at home, who are watching, thank you so much for streaming with us. I think uh, three quarters of our church right now is, uh, is still streaming from home, or people that have just found us online during all that's going on in the world who are just part of our extended family, some of which uh, we still haven't even met. So. Thank you guys so much for, uh, for tuning in today. Uh, we are launching a brand new series right now called Melodia. And uh, this series kind of came out of a personal space and some stuff that I want to share with you guys around uh, the idea that, that, that we as God's people really need to be uh, a little more, uh, little more connected with one another. Uh, let me just kind of teach you what it means. A Melodia is a melody, especially one which characterizes a certain piece of music. And so it, it's kind of a, a certain section of a song or a certain kind of moment in a, in, in, in a, in a symphony that, that you recognize that grabs you, that, that, that it's sort of a moment within the music itself. Uh, the opening illustration would be sort of an example of a melodia. It was the sound of an orchestra tuning before the performance starts. And it always kind of sounds the same way, which makes it sort of a melodia. But there's a reason that it sort of always sounds the same way. And I didn't know this. And so far, uh, the last two services we've taught this, people have been like, oh, I, I wondered about that, but I had never thought about it. And so uh, let me just kind of uh, enlighten you how I was recently enlightened. Uh, the orchestra, when it tunes almost always tunes to one common point of reference. That instrument, that common point of reference, is uh, almost always the oboe. You know, you guys know the oboe, right? Like everybody, everybody has one of those around. This is what it looks like. I had to look it up because I didn't know. Uh, and it's a really unique instrument, and it is the instrument that almost all orchestras tune to. But the reason it is that instrument isn't because the oboe is incredibly powerful or because the, the oboe is incredibly prominent or because there's, there's so many people who just, just grew up wanting to play that oboe. The reason is actually much more, um, much more powerful. Let me read it to you. This comes from um, uh, a concert maestro explaining why the oboe is the instrument that's used to tune the entire orchestra before they start. He said, if you go to a concert performed by an orchestra, you will first hear the oboe play an A note, which is the standard tuning note, right before the performance start, followed by each instrument playing an A and the entire orchestra tuning with one another around the oboe. Here's his reason and kind of the standard reason in music theory around why orchestras tune around an oboe. This is his quote. It is because the oboe... It has a stable pitch, and the other is that it is because instead the pitch is unstable. And I was like, what? Well, I can't teach that. There goes my whole series idea. And then I started to dive in further. Well, what does that mean? Why is an oboe both the most stable and the most unstable? And this is what he said. The two explanations are the complete opposites of one another, which is what makes it work. Uh, 
Nearly all instruments have always been unstable in terms of their pitch because of differences in heat, humidity, and the like. Typically, the instruments come with mechanisms that allow performers to tune them. However, because of its structure, the oboe's pitch can only be changed by removing and inserting reeds. It is not possible to change how high-pitched the tones are the way that can be done by removing a clarinet's barrel or altering the tension of a violin's strings. The only way of altering the pitch of an oboe is to adjust the breadth or length of the reeds. It is nearly impossible to make any sudden changes on the day of a performance. It is difficult to adjust the pitch of an oboe. Therefore, it would appear that the other instruments in a performance must be made to match. And that is the explanation of why the oboe is the standard for tuning. So in layman's terms, if you were to read a little bit more around this, which I did, here's the basic idea. In any room full of this many instruments, all of the instruments would be affected by the humidity in the room, by the temperature in the room, and so on. Therefore, the A in one room and the A in another room, or the A in one temperature and the A in another temperature could be just slightly different. Now, all instruments just about have ways in which they can tune on the fly their instruments, except the oboe. The oboe cannot be tuned right before the performance. So what happens is the oboe is set. It is therefore incredibly stable because it, it is always in A. It is always in the key it needs to be. But the oboe is also incredibly unstable in that it is easily tweaked by all of the temperatures and factors and humidities in the room. And so the oboe is the instrument in the room that has to start out with the base level of focus for all of the other musicians in the room to match. The oboe is both the most unstable and the most stable instrument in the room, and therefore it covers the entire breadth of the note, and so it is the cornerstone of the entire orchestra, and most people didn't even know what it was. It's a pretty cool concept, and I think it preaches in a really, really powerful way. So here's my proposal. My proposal is this. As we run this this theory all the way through this next series of Melodia. Here's my proposal. We right now are all living our lives wildly out of tune. That whether it's because you have, you have crazy kids, right? Like I had some crazy kids. I had a bunch of people just shift to their, to their families right now like, oh, this sermon is clearly for us. Right? Or you're in a hard season, or you're in a difficult space, or you have too much, or you have too little. We are all, in many ways, living our lives wildly out of tune. We are overly stressed, overly busy, angry, impatient, indulgent, etc. And my desire is that inside this series, over the next few weeks, we all get an opportunity to at least listen to what we are supposed to be sounding like, and so perhaps even tune up our hearts our relationships, and our stories just a bit. Now, because we need to place everything within some helpful creative context, primarily because that's how I work. If you uh, were at my one-off sermon a few weeks ago, I let you know that all one-offs for this year are gonna be around ponderings. That way, if I get stuck doing them, there's a, at least a creative context for me to do it, and I don't have to figure out what I'm supposed to speak on. I'm just gonna ponder stuff. Okay, that's a creative context. <laughs> Those of you who were here, the rest of you are like, what's he talking about? Just go back and watch, you'll see. Here's the creative context for this series. At the start of every single talk throughout the series, you are going to hear a different piece of music, just like we started with, a different melodia. 
Each one will be from a wildly different genre, each piece being played or sang from its own unique perspective, each piece of music having its own unique origin story and history. And here's the hope. The hope is, like all music does, that some of the openings will grab you, that they'll take you back, they'll yank you back to a time where you're like, I remember when I heard this song. I remember where I was when this happened. I remember a girlfriend of mine and I used to love this song. I remember this. I remember that. You'll connect with this piece of music in a way that, that hopefully really resonates with who you are. And then, because of how we operate here at Kesset, I also have another hope. My hope is that some of this music will repel you. You will be like, I cannot believe he just played that song in church that it will yank you up by the collar to insult your understanding of what it is or isn't to be good or bad when it comes to music. My hope is that you feel something, is my point. That, that, you, that you enter into a space where you can have a conversation with me and everyone else around you. And then my hope is that we can together evaluate those different perspectives around those melodias. Why we love some, why we hate some, and so on. Together, I'll put this up here. We use these different perspectives to see and hear the world around us from other people's eyes and ears and stories. Now, not everybody that gathers with Kesed in person or online is hearing. And so, as you notice, when we started, we had an audio visualization of what the music was actually doing. These will be custom every single week for us in the room visually and for the deaf folks that travel with us so that they can experience the different elements of the music as well because this isn't really about the hearing of the music as much as it is about what it feels like to sing your song and have your song disagreed with and to agree or disagree with other people's songs. Now, I further propose something else, that throughout the next few weeks, I'm not the only one up here being vulnerable, that I'm not the only one up here being exposed. I don't want to pick all this music is what I'm trying to say. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite you to personally participate in offering songs that are important to you, songs that are valuable to you, songs that are treasures to you. And so you can email all of the songs that you feel should be respected, should be heard, should be experienced to mymelodiaatkessedchurch.com. And then what we'll do is we'll play a song that, that has been chosen from our crowd, and it will represent a, a certain kind of music. I, I can't play all 400 songs I know I'm going to get, but I'll, I'll try to query them and play the songs that I get the most of. And my hope is that when you hear that music, you're going to be like, yes, that's me. That's my, that's my hair in high school and my Trans Am. Like, that's me. That's my music, right? That's me growing up in Cali, like I have a friend that says. That's me doing this. That's, a, th that's my hope. And then my other hope is, as I already said, you'll be like, oh, gross. This is my dad's music. This is my mom's music. This is not even music. Both those emotions and evaluations are perfect. If you're like this, meh, then we didn't do our job. But that's your fault, not mine. Because I'm asking you to participate. I'm asking you to put yourself out there. Because then you have to resonate when we talk about how great your music is from one perspective and how garbage it is from another. This is going to be fantastic. So join us in the series. Be a part. Again, online, all those things. It'll be a lot of fun. But uh, that's kind of the, the, the creative context. That's what I'm looking for. Now, here's our biblical context. Within God's word, there are really special verses that we can use inside a series like this for really special reasons. They're called the one another's. 
Depending on your version of the Bible, there's 39 one another passages in the Bible. There are passages like this one, exhort in Hebrews 3, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Another one is hospitality, 1 Peter 4, 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Another one is serve, 1 Peter 4, 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. My proposition is this. The reason there are so many of these verses spread from the beginning to the end of God's word is because these are all tuning passages. These are all verses for you and I to, to, to reach out, to grab, to ponder, and to wrestle with that are supposed to help us tune who we are, how we are, how we view the world. There are ways to check in and listen. There are ways to help us figure out if we are living or playing as we are supposed to. There are ways for us to realize kind of why we do the things we do, why the music in our lives affects us how it does, and why we affect the people around us. Now, the natural next question becomes, if these are tuning verses, what are we all supposed to be tuning to? If they're all tweaking us a little bit here and there, situationally, emotionally, spiritually, what are we actually tuning to? And that's also in the Bible, and we're going to dive into it a lot. The Bible clearly teaches that we are all off, that we are that we're missing, that there are things incomplete in us. As a matter of fact, the whole idea of holiness, we share this, it feels like now about once every six weeks here, is is this completeness and this wholeness. God is holy because God is whole. I am broken because there are pieces in my world that are missing, and so I am incomplete, therefore I am unholy, and you are unholy. God is meeting us in the midst of our unholiness to make us whole, to fill us in where we are lacking. We are all a little too flat or a little too pitchy. <laughs> it's a tricky word to preach. The one that's in your mind works as well. We're too far ahead in our life's tempo or maybe lagging behind. <laughs> a lot of you decided right now this is your church, and some of you were like, I knew it. I got to find another one. I don't know. But at least stay throughout the series because there's going to be much more of that, and you'll be entertained. Here's what's important, though. Either way, nobody's hitting all the right notes or all the right rhythms all the time. Most people accept this as fact. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And this is in contrast to Christ. This isn't saying everybody's just walking around, you know, of no value. It's saying when you compare them to Christ, then nobody compares. Now, if we were authentic about this, we would, we would, it would be a, a much easier thing to talk about, but we, we do our best to hide it. We do our best to kind of to keep it in. Um, I do the best I can here in town, especially, to, uh, to recognize that I don't really know who I'm engaging with, whether it be at a coffee bar or a night out with my wife. I just don't know the people that, that know me based on what I do for work. And so I'm, I'm pretty careful. I try to be pretty careful. Uh, I remember one time I had a waitress here in town uh, give us really, really terrible service, really terrible service. And my wife was much more frustrated than I was, but I'm here in town. And so I was like, hey, look, you don't know, right? You just don't know. And at the end, she, she gave us this great discount on our bill and said, hey, by the way, you passed. And I said, what? And she goes, yeah, I go to your church. I just wanted to see if you were who you say you were on stage. <laughs> so so I, I treated you poorly and you did a great job. And I was like, Awesome and terrible. 
Last weekend, when we had a guest speaker, it was because I was away with my family for just a short holiday. We drove about five hours north and spent some time in the snow at a cabin with, with, uh, with my wife, and, and, uh, and it was just a great time. Well, on the way back, um, my, I don't know where this rule came up that dads do all the driving, at least in our household, on the, on the road trips, but in our, in our house, there is, there is only one driver. My wife forgets how to drive on road trips. She's like, what? driving I don't even know you know I can't and I'm like but but if she wants to go somewhere and I'm not around she remembers how to drive suddenly it's amazing so we leave this trip it was awesome we stayed up too late we got up too early we sled we just had a great time it was just a it was a wonderful time but at the end I gotta admit I was tired like good tired but tired we're driving back and uh, I have my wife in the front seat and then my 16-year-old daughter in the back and then her cousin, my niece, who's 17 years old, is also riding with us. And they all decide about an hour in to uh, go ahead and take a luxurious nap, which, which I would have loved to do. I love luxurious naps. But I got to drive. I got to keep my family safe. I got to winter drive. I got I to gotta be, right, the, the pioneer that God's called me to be to trail through the snow and, and make sure they can sleep. And that's how it started off. But as they got more and more picky about the music I, picked, I, I listened to or about how far away my seat was or whatever the issue was that kept them from sleeping luxuriously, I began to get more and more frustrated. <laughs> And, and I, so I begin to get more and more just sort of, not like angry, but I was just like, this kind of stinks. Like, I wish, I wish I had somebody who just drove me around through the snow and had to deal with all this stress and, right? And so eventually they wake up from their nap and they're like, oh, we're hungry. And I was like, okay, well, I do need gas. So we'll pull over here on this exit and I'll get gas. And, and then there's a McDonald's and they're like, yeah, that's, that's great. Take us to the McDonald's. And I said, okay. So, so we get in line for McDonald's. Now, I'm just sharing my stuff here. I said, I, we're, just being, we're just being us and just being me. So I just share that I don't know if your home's the same, but, but my girls, the two that live with me right now, my wife and my daughter, um, they forget every single time what it is they want at any restaurant we go to drive through right when we pull into the restaurant. They completely forget. Like, they, like they're like, let's go to McDonald's. And, and here's the thing. They get the same thing every single time they go to the restaurant. Every time. So I pull into the McDonald's, and I know what's happening. And I'm tired, and I'm like, hey, look, we're three cars. This is a really long line. There's, uh, can you guys start thinking about what you want? Yeah, yeah, totally. We get up to the thing, and I order. Boom, boom, boom. And the lady says, thank you, sir, for respecting me as a McDonald's worker and just clearly ordering your meal. I said, you're welcome, ma'am. Just here to keep my family safe and keep you employed, being part of my extended community. I said, Aaron, what would you like? And she goes, mmm. <laughs> and I was like, mmm. And she's like, mmm, do you know if they have, like, do they have Pepsi products here or Coke products? I'm like, you know what they have. And the lady's like, ma'am, you know we only have this product. In the drive, and Aaron's like, mmm, yeah, but could they get me a, no, ma'am, we can't get you that. And I'm, and, and eventually promise, she just goes, okay, I'll have, and orders the exact meal that I could have ordered right from the beginning. So I move on to Elena, and I know it's coming. Elena, what would you like? Mm, uh, and all these same questions, all the same answers, eventually orders exactly what she wants to get to Brooklyn. I don't know, must be in her DNA. Mm, all of them. At the end of this thing, I've been in this, I've been in, and this is a long time, like eight minutes. I am, I am so frustrated. Eight minutes, and, and it's $52. And I'm like, 
$52, that cannot be right. And they're like, well, yeah. And she repeats the entire huge order to me. And I'm like, okay, all right. So we pull up to the window and this girl that looks like she's had about as much sleep as I have opens the window. She leans out and looks at me and goes, Sprite and a root beer? And I just, I just didn't respond in love. I said, yep, and about 16 other odds and end items. And she looks at me, and I realize what I did, and my wife goes, oh, Danny. Like, loud enough for her to hear. Brooklyn in the back goes, oh. My daughter, Elena's like, Dad. Like, I am disgusted to wake up from my luxurious nap and hear you talk to somebody this way. <laughs> oh, put my eye cover back on, right? I just, it's just amazing. So the girl looks at me, and I look at her, and she just grabs the window and just shuts it, doesn't say a word. And I'm just quiet in the McDonald's, and I, I'm just being honest. The first thing I thought was not, I'm so sad I hurt her feelings, or I wonder how I can make this up to her, or I wonder what I should do next. First thing I thought was, I am so glad we are not inside my city right now. I am so glad this person doesn't go to our church. I'm out of tune at this point. The girl finally opens back up the window and right as she's about to hand us our food, I think it was Brooklyn who said in the back, we definitely got our food sped in. The girl doesn't say a word. I'm pretty sure she heard it. She just looks at me and hands me the food. I ate it. What am I gonna do? I'm hungry and I gotta stay awake to get my family home. They ate theirs, went back to sleep. Here's my entire point of the story. <laughs> Be nice to people. That's the, that's the bigger point. But the one underneath is all of us eventually find ourselves out of tune. We find ourselves just in the right situation, in the right scenario, with the right humidity and the right temperature, that someone does something within their story, within their melodia, and it strikes us in such a way that we just stop being who we want to be. We stop playing the music we want to make. We stop making the decisions we want to make, and we just decide to do more, to do less, to do, to do nothing. We decide to not live the lives God has called us to live. And oftentimes, the first thing we think is not about the other person, and not even about our own behavior or the lesson we're setting. The first thing we think is, I wonder if anybody else heard that. And the answer is always yes, by the way. It's always yes. Now, you may not know it's yes, because most people have gotten really, really good at not letting you know they heard you go off tune. Most people, I'm excellent at this. You can tell me just about anything. Danny, I don't believe in God, but I do think that Care Bears created the world. And I'll go, oh, let's be curious about that. I'll see you Tuesday at five. What kind of coffee would you like? Like, I'm, I got it, right? That's my thing. Now, inside, I might be like, Care Bear theology, that's new. Like, I, like, but, but some of us are a little more true to our internal natures. For example, the young lady whose face you see every single day that does our announcements, Alyssa. Alyssa. Uh, is one of those rare people whose face is directly connected to her heart and cannot be disconnected. Alyssa, when she started working for me, would assist me in meetings, would assist me in difficult conversations. And when she started working for me, this is a true story, she used to sit right next to me, okay, to take notes, for me to be able to give insight. But here's what happened. Someone would say something, you know, like, Star Wars is the worst movie ever. And Alyssa would go, <laughs> And then she would realize where she is and what she represents, and then she would go back to normal. But the damage is done by that point. 
Now I'm like, oh, oh, Alyssa, you know, I mean, Alyssa loves Star Wars. Like, uh, like we, I'm done. So slowly over the last five years of her working with me, she now sits out of everyone's peripheral that I meet with. Because her face, actually, she said this, masks have been a blessing for her, she said. Because now if you can't, if you're not good at reading eyes, you don't really know. She is genuine with her face and her heart. Most of us aren't. But all of us, I think, really do hear people when they're out of tune. And I think, although it takes a little bit more effort, I think some of us also know when we're out of tune. We just don't know what to do about it. This, this is what our series is going to talk about. We're going to talk about this collective disharmony that's really in the Bible referred to as an unavoidable curse. Romans 7, 18 and 19 says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. No matter how much I tune, no matter how many new instruments or new outfits or new friends or new relationships or new churches or new beliefs, I keep going out of tune. I'm not the mom I want to be, the dad I want to be, the, the, the person I want to be, the pastor I want to be, the student, the friend. I'm not who I thought I would be at this age. I had a conversation with someone just this week who was talking about what the 20-year-old self would think about who they had become at 45 years old. It's an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? For some of you, it would have to be a lot older than that. But you, would, you, would, you get the idea that you would think, I wonder if you are playing the songs you thought you would play. This is why we all need saving. Because no matter how hard we try, we cannot hear what needs to be heard. We cannot be brought into the melody of one another or creation. We take too much. We leave too little. We consume and consolidate. We are out of harmony with our world, with each other, and most importantly, and this is so valuable, we are out of harmony with our creator. And so the Bible says that all creation, both both the, the, the physical and the emotional and, and all of creation cries out. Romans 8, creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. This is a really, really, really important verse for us to understand this. As far as disconnected as you may feel right now from one another, as far politically or religiously or emotionally or relationally, whatever you want to throw into the mix that makes you and other people out of tune, the one area that we are all in tune together, that's the word right there, is in the groaning that we aren't singing and playing and hearing the songs we're supposed to. That we are together in one voice saying there's got to be something different. There's got to be something more than this. This is where we start. This is where we find our sameness. This is where we all get into the room and hear the maestro tap on his podium as we all look forward to the one, the one who will bring us in tune as we prepare to groan together, not, not perfectly, but just together in the unison and the realization that there is supposed to be more. For we are not just out of harmony with one another. We are out of harmony with the one who's never ever been out of harmony in all of eternity. Psalm 1830 says, the ways of God are without fault. The Lord's words are pure. This means to exist as God does. He has never been not harmonious. He is loving enough. He is gracious enough. He is, he is available enough. 
He is high enough. He is low enough, wide enough, deep enough. He is enough. He is the all of sounds and the all of silence. In him lies all other music. But he requires in order to be in relationship with him that you recognize your groaning is a need for him. He requires that you tune to him and who he is. This means that he will not abide disharmony of, every, of any kind and so a flawlessly tuned instrument is needed. One that can lovingly tune all who hear it. Our Bible teaches over and over and over again that our salvation depends on what Christ accomplishes for us. And the reason that's important is because Christ is the one who came to be the curse for us. Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He came into our disharmony and was disharmony. He came into the cacophony of mankind, the shatteredness of mankind, and was that cacophony. This is a powerful, powerful realization. It's here that the answer to the earlier question exists. What are we all supposed to be tuning to? And the answer becomes clear. It's Jesus. It's always been Jesus, and it always will be Jesus. He is both the unchanging and changing. He is both the cacophony and the symphony. He is, in this sense, the great oboe of the universe. He is the most stable, the most consistent, the most fulfilling, and yet he became naked and cursed and beaten. He is by far the most powerful that has ever lived and yet has experienced more weakness than anyone who ever came before him. He is all music and all silence. He is waiting and available and if we can listen to his story and to his word and we can tune to the sounds of him, then suddenly we can find ourselves in relational harmony with each other, but most importantly in relational harmony to God. And so suddenly we won't be people who just make decisions based on other people's lifestyles, based on other people's political beliefs, because here's really what ends up happening. What ends up happening is you don't stop playing music, right? You don't stop making noise. You just only go and play with people who are flat and pitchy like you. You build a band, an off band, an out-of-tempo band, a skewed band, but it's your band. And everybody in your band thinks like you and acts like you and behaves like you. And after a while, you're like, we're a pretty good band. But anybody who doesn't understand what we're doing doesn't understand. Ready? Ready? Not our version of the songs, not our style. No, no. They don't understand music. Anybody who doesn't believe like I believe probably isn't a Christian. Anybody who thinks that you can have church that way doesn't even understand what church means. Anybody who has that opinion about God's word, they don't even know what the Bible's about. Anybody who thinks prayer operates that way, they don't know anything about prayer. We just build these big bands. And we kick everybody else out that's different. And then we tune sadly to whoever's loudest in the room. So we all practice getting louder, not better. It's all about how loud you can get, how big you can get, how perceived and upfront you can get. And so you climb that corporate ladder and you build that family and you make those posts and you make everything as dialed in as you can because you want to be loud about your opinions and your thoughts. And everyone around you goes, yeah, I could be in her band or his band if they'd have me. 
but I do have some stuff in my closet that, ugh. So they go off and try to find a band or a community, and we all just end up wondering why none of the music sounds like it's supposed to out of the Bible. We're not playing in a symphony anymore. We're just sitting on our back decks with three people, oftentimes all related to us, just passing on the legacy of our broken music to the next generation. What would you do? I grew up with country music. Okay, I don't listen to it now, but that's all I knew. My wife grew up with a whole other style that we'll talk about eventually. <laughs> that's all I listened to. That's all my dad loved. That's all we grew up with was country music. What would you do if my, the legacy of my family, which was a pretty musical family, Dave, who does our worship right here, this is my uncle, right? So our family grew up like singing at gatherings. Like that was a thing. What would you do if somebody just rolled into our house, started playing the oboe with our country music band? I think at first, there'd be some like, hey man, it's not the kind of music we play here. Now maybe we're a pretty open-minded family. Maybe we would have figured out how to work that oboe into our country music band, but it would have taken some effort. It would have taken some legacy breaking, but if it was done, here's the thing that would have been profound. From then on, my kids would have known, of course you can have an oboe in a country music band. What are you talking about? This is how we're supposed to open up the melodias of our life. This is how we're supposed to open up our stories and our hearts and the legacies that have been passed to us, which are beautiful and valuable, but are incomplete. There's not a legacy in this room that's complete, not a one. You have not arrived, and if you think you've arrived, that's the brokenness of your legacy, that each person before you probably thought they arrived as well, and that's been passed down. That's, a, that's another talk. It's like that, those people just play music in the bathroom, right? That's all they do with the door shut. There's just no audience. It's just them and the good acoustics. These are all the kinds of things we get to unpack, but it all has a point. The point of it is we have an opportunity in 2021 to listen to other people's music and equally express our own, but all of it has to be centered on the love and the purpose and the scripture and the spirit of Jesus. God provided in Christ what God demanded from us. He is the great oboe of the universe, and through him, our relational harmony can once again be heard if we choose to hear from him. This is supposed to change us. This is supposed to transform us, but it's really not very easy because you got your stuff, you got your opinion. You're trying to figure out if I even know what I'm talking about right now. I don't. I'm trying to figure it out just like you. But I'm willing to share my music with you if you're willing to share yours with me. Not because I have something to teach, not because you have something to teach, because Jesus has something to show us in the midst of us being open-minded and willing to ask him what kind of songs it is he wants us to sing. So that's my invitation. That's the offer I make. It's clear as I can make it. I don't know exactly where it's going to go. Not every week's planned because you haven't emailed and texted in all your songs. I don't know exactly how it's going to work out, but I know that I'm willing to do it if you are. I also know this, and I'll close with this one thought. Um, I, I really need this. Like, this, this has been a really tough year for me as a pastor because people really want me to be in their band. It's kind of a privilege. People think that the instrument I play is somehow gonna bring more people to the band, I suppose. And, um, and I, I've done everything I can to be really just in one, in one band, in, in one symphony that I hope, but it has not been easy. And I've lost friends. I've lost people, not because I took a stand, but because I didn't 
decide to do what they needed me to do for them. And I just, I just couldn't close these doors and open these doors to one and not another. And I just, I just sat in this really difficult place. And so for me, there's, I think there's some discovery in here for me that you're going to have to just see how it goes. Because I want to be who God's called me to be, but I, I need him to, to take over this church. I need him to be the maestro. I'm not. I need him to be the lead pastor, the main shepherd. I'm just an under shepherd. I need him to do what he does so that we get to do what we do so that together we can be the church that I'm telling you, these people outside these walls are waiting to hear. Because if we can't figure it out, if we can't make music, if our stories can't resonate with Jesus, then whose can? What light of the world is that? If it's all just stuck in our bathrooms with no one to see or hear. So we're gonna drag Oboe Jesus into the room. We're gonna let him play every single week and he's gonna make some of you incredibly uncomfortable. Probably me as well. And then we're gonna see what kind of music he makes with our stories. Amen? Amen. Will you stand with me? We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for every person in this room right now. I believe that, that you brought them here for a reason. Every person watching online, every person being challenged, convicted, frustrated, pacified, encouraged, angered, God, I'll take it all. Because people, they need to be able to belong and feel all their feelings. And so thank you that, that we can create a space like that. May we see you and hear you above it all. May we experience it. I pray a special prayer, Lord, over our deaf community that, that there would be a some power in this that is yet to be discovered on, on how this relates and how this connects. I pray for those watching online who, who aren't with us in the room, the same thing, that they would be able to, uh, to receive what it is you're showing them through their screens. And for those in person, God, may you continue to bless them, encourage them. Thank you that we get to be your church family in all these facets and in all these ways. We just lift up the music of you and who you are and all that God's people said. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys, for coming. We'll see you next week.